Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald Glass. We're coming right back at you here. Thanks so much for watching and listening. Truly appreciate it. Go ahead and check out our other great shows, Inside Sports Fantasy Football and, of course, the Lakers Fast Break. If you get a chance, please give us that five-star review. And also, as well, any pop culture news and notes you can check out right there at Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook or popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. And don't forget to check us out later this week. We will. I'm trying to arrange a immediate reaction show <laughs> to the game awards of all who the the announcements and who won who lost etc 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 so go ahead hopefully you can check it out live on the pop culture cosmos on youtube and facebook as well but gonna have a great conversation because my good friend once again has stopped by he is the man the myth the legend himself amongst pop culture it is tj johnson tj glad to have you here We've been meaning to have this part of the conversation for quite some time <laughs> on soundtracks, which yes. you changed after our original conversation, after I give <laughs> you my list. So I'm still feeling oh. a little bit, little bit uh, ornery about that. But oh, no, I don't think I changed it. I just didn't. I just didn't tell you. Everything you didn't that clarify. Included. I didn't clarify. That doesn't mean I changed it. Because I would have put that... something on your list, on my list as well. But then you can put that it. As it's, it's it's okay, Gerald. We we right. we're All doing right. this together, Gerald. You can you can make addendums. It's okay. It's okay. 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 I, well, I'll allow it. We'll we'll go ahead and talk about that in a few minutes. Plus, we're also going to talk here in just a quick second about the final concert for the legendary band Kiss and the interesting quirk. That will have them live live on in infamy forever. So we'll, mm. we'll see how that's going to work out. Because will they live on in infamy? They plan on it, and they'll tell you how here coming up in a minute. I also wanted to go ahead and mention that later on in the show, I will have Jeff Sloboda from the MCU's Bleeding Edge, and I will talk about the Marvels. He actually liked the Marvels. He'll tell you why, and also as well. We will go ahead and discuss what Marvel and Disney can do to right the ship in 2024. And not only top on that, for the Lakers fast break on our coverage, live coverage of the games that we do on playback.tv slash Lakers fast break, which you can join us free at any point in time during the game. Go ahead. Come on by. I had a great conversation with my fellow hosts, Magic Man, Sean Grice, and also as well, Laker Nick, who is actually a lawyer or a legal representative, as you were, in the state of California. We had a great conversation on the Hall and Oates back and forth. That relationship, <laughs> that music duo, it, what the Hall of Fame duo that they are, that has gone south and south hard, where basically they cannot stand each other at this point in time. There's restraining orders, lawsuits. One wants to sell his library. The other one's preventing it. We'll go ahead and talk about it in detail. We had this actually discussion during the course of a game. It's fascinating, and I want to go ahead and share it on the show as well. But first, <laughs> it is so. TJ. Yeah, TJ. I mean, if you ever get a chance to listen back to this episode, you will hear that conversation. It was absolutely just really detailed. To get Laker Nick's perspective as a legal representative, someone who understands the law and does it every day for a living, uh, was just absolutely fascinating, clarifying. Oh, uh, so right. yeah, really, really worked out as well. But first, right. my friend, 
I want to go ahead and uh, let's go ahead with the soundtracks, the fun stuff before we get into Kiss. Uh, I want to go ahead with the soundtracks because we talked. You said you wanted to have a conversation on soundtracks, on music soundtracks, movie yeah. soundtracks, TV soundtracks, video game soundtracks, which you clarified later on. But you soundtracks just, in general, Gerald. Okay, soundtracks we, when soundtracks general. come in, I'm usually thinking movies in my mind, but okay. we, you clarified it later on, and I'll, I'll let you get let you get on that. So I will say <laughs> this though: when it comes to our favorite soundtracks. The day after we had the conversation, I yeah. went to the Smith Center in Las Vegas, and I got a chance to sit down and re-watch Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. That's the mm-hmm. first original mm-hmm. outstanding movie, which we called one of the best movies of yep. the year. It came out yep. Academy Award-winning movie for its animation, but people seem to forget the soundtrack. It's mm-hmm. absolutely incredible. <laughs> and I got to re-watch it and re-experience it, and with a live orchestra and a DJ playing the entire soundtrack through. And it was absolutely exhilarating. And I didn't know a movie from six years ago would absolutely not only invigorate the audience, reinvigorate Mm -hmm. the movie, but actually fill out the entire Smith Center of about three, 4,000 seats basically off of a six-year-old movie bringing it because of a live audience so people don't understand sometimes how soundtracks to a movie or television or video game can enhance the experience even more please if it's a touring uh symphony going ahead and dj with this movie so if you get a chance to see it in your town i highly recommend it tj oh absolutely um let me start by saying into the spider-verse hands down has one of the absolute best soundtracks to ever bless uh, a cinema cinema screen um it is or cinema audio whatever you want to call it it is the best sound one of the best soundtracks to ever bless a movie period um i actually recently listened to it i didn't obviously go to the smith center like you did lucky you uh but i did recently listen to it um through youtube music because my children my children they're at the age where once they like something they like it and when they like it they want to hear it on repeat five six seven eight nine ten times it doesn't matter they want to hear it and right now it is what's up danger from into the spider-verse and it's um uh oh my goodness the one from across the spider-verse i can't think of the name of it right now because i I hear it in my head so freaking often you try to blank it out but my point in saying that is you can't have a fantastic soundtrack with or you can't have a fantastic movie experience i should say without having a fantastic soundtrack and this is just not this is not just movies this is medium this is entertainment in general everything that i've held super special in regards to moments in pop culture relevancy have been accompanied by sound have been accompanied by music and i'll give you a prime example just recently i was re-watching uh the iconic the iconic Dwayne The Rock Johnson versus Hollywood Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 18. And if you are familiar enough with that match, it was Icon versus Icon, The Rock versus Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan was was beginning to turn from the Hollywood Hogan persona. The Rock was getting ready to go off and film some more movies. And and he was the baby face that was being shoved down the WWE's throat. So it was was a great passing of the torch for the two. Um, But Mm -hmm. what made that match so special 
was not the physical match. If you take that match and you turn the volume all the way down and you just watch a wrestling match, it was probably one of the more um, poor performances uh, from either character, from either wrestler, just because of the simple fact that you know Hulk Hogan's is, is is up there in age, and he was up there in age at that point at WrestleMania 18. So um, it wasn't a technically sound wrestling match, but that's not what did it. That's not what did it. What did it is when you turned the volume up and they spent the first five to ten minutes just truly playing off the crowd, playing off that atmosphere, playing off that energy that the the arena was giving them, and. When I tell you it was just something to behold live and then let alone watch it, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years later and still get goosebumps by hearing the crowd respond the way that they did. Um, it's just truly goes to show you how these moments are just enhanced that much more by the accompanying sound. Um, so you take that concept and you apply it to video games, you apply it to television, you apply it to movies, you apply it to anything of pop culture relevancy, um, and it becomes more than just whatever it is you're doing. It's more than just watching TV show. Now you're having an experience. Now you're truly becoming enthralled in this world that the the, the creators have have made for you. And it just it takes the, the whole thing to another level. So I get really excited talking about music. I get really excited talking about soundtracks. I get excited talking about music and pop culture in general because of how uh, passionate I am about it and how how important it really, really is. People just don't seem to, while they know it, they don't know that they know it until they don't have it, right? You will notice when you don't have it, but you a lot of times don't notice when you do have it, so... I will tell you this, my friend. You've got some great choices for your favorites as far as the pop culture soundtracks that have moved you the most during that point in time. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's some great selections therein. One of the selections I will go ahead and tell everybody that is one of your favorites is Interstellar, Greatest Showman, and Avengers Endgame. We'll get into the other two here in a second because uh, for various reasons, they provide great conversations oh. for us. But what is Interstellar, which again, a lot of s- sound is created oh, from that movie goodness. just because of the fact that it, it is needed from time to time. You know, I know it's not a movie that everybody gets, but it's a movie that oh, I've never heard anyone in, in, in any retrospect to say that it sounds bad, that, that the soundtrack is bad, that the music is ill time oh, when it goodness. is slighted it is never slighted for that oh my goodness one I, whoever slights interstellar i just i would implore you to watch it again and when i say watch it again really pay attention to the minute details that christopher nolan who was a director extraordinaire i'm such a christopher nolan fan except for tenant tenant he lost me on but everything else christopher yeah, nolan i disagree does with you on tenant so. I, I just wasn't I wasn't big on Tenet, man. But again, I actually might need to watch that again, too, because it took Interstellar a couple watches for me to understand just how really good it was. Anyways, I say that to say Interstellar, the soundtrack to Interstellar, which is essentially three chords. If you actually go back and listen to the soundtrack, they are really just three chords played with different levels of fill in between to actually accentuate and uh, lower the uh, intensity in those but the 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 slow build the consistent uh, the consistent of those chords it really helps strike a tone it really helps strike a 
a mood. If you take the one scene, and this is the scene that's probably the most uh, famous or infamous, depending on how you want to look at it, scene from Interstellar. And that's the, the point where you have Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. Where you have Matthew McConaughey, and he is literally looking at memories of his children over the past uh, however many years he's been off in space and he's having this, these emotions and he's going from a, a proud emotion to, to sorrow, to just outright, just tearfulness, but it's accompanied by this, this, this music and this set piece. If you think back to games like um, Super Metroid, Super Metroid is a prime example of the way the music helps set the stage. The music sounds desolate isolated you sound uh, uh alone it, it gives you this feeling of emptiness the same thing could be said for that particular soundtrack for that particular scene in interstellar you have this moment where this this man is realizing how much time he has lost how much time has passed between when he's seen his children to where his children are now and you can see the gamut of emotions you can see the entire range and it's accompanied beautifully by this soundtrack that just plays on your heartstrings and it really helps uh, elicit an emotional response from you as well as a physical and a kinetic response as well because there are sometimes, some people, I know I cried on a couple of those scenes. So it really does help to enhance the experience if you allow it to. Um, an incredible, incredible soundtrack. I cannot speak highly enough about it. It has been in constant rotation in my home um, in my studies, in my quiet time, uh, on my drives to and from work, uh, just to kind of really put me in a place of, 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 of calm, of being able to just uh, really be uh, just, just prepared for the day. Um, it's not an uproarous, rile you up type soundtrack. It really is a very calm, very uh, studious, a very um, melancholy is not the right word, uh, but it does do a great job in setting a a tone of just uh, a quiet humbleness to it. Uh, it's a really fantastic score. And if you have not uh, had the pleasure of listening to it, I would highly, highly recommend doing so in, in some quiet time that you might have. For the latest news and information, analysis and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. You also mentioned Avengers Endgame and Greatest yes. Showman. Greatest Showman, obviously, that that movie is predicated by the music and the great singing, obviously, led by Hugh Jackman. Yes. But Avengers Endgame, yes. which, yes. Uh, you know, is seemingly a surprise to a lot of people, unless you talk about, you go into it, and it's not just the selections that, you know, as far as that James Gunn might have provided for the no. scenes from the Guardians mm -hmm. of the Galaxy. It's a whole lot more. Yes, it is absolutely, and I, uh, the the track that I'm particularly referring to, and um, my uh, my my beautiful daughter will be the first one to talk about it because we're both very very big into soundtracks, and so she'll see a movie and immediately go home and find the soundtrack on Spotify and listen to every song and remember every moment. She's she's I, I'm if I pass nothing on to my children, they have the pop culture gene. Let me tell you. So the song the 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 soundtracker or the track that I'm referring to is Portals. And Portals happens, if you can imagine, if you, if you go back that far, remember that when Captain America is obviously beaten and bewildered fighting against Thanos and his army and Thanos is 
is really getting ready to kind of give him the coup de gras, if you will. And uh, Steve Rogers being the stand-up guy he is, battered, bruised, beaten, his shield is badly broken, his arm is sliced open, but he, he tightens up the shield around his arm, what's left of his shield and what's left of his arm. He tightens up the shield around his arm and, and stands up, and he's the one person still standing against Thanos and his entire army essentially looking down on him. And as he's, he's walking up and he starts to hear Sam Wilson from you know, his, his communicator tell him that you know, on his left, and all of a sudden you see these portals open up. But then you hear these horns and you hear these triumphant horns that are going. And it starts off very subtle at first because it's a very subtle nod to a callback from Captain America, uh, the Winter Soldier, where he's like on your left. And as the portals start to kind of become quicker, you can feel the soundtrack starting to rise and the, the tension starting to, to build and swell. And you start to see multiple portals open up and the trumpets are going and the horns are blaring. And all of a sudden you're seeing the Wakandan army. You're seeing the Doctor Strange and and and, and that entire um, uh, come come loud. What's the, what's, the, what's, the nice, what's the name of the place that he does? I don't know. Whatever. You're seeing Doctor Strange and his crew. You're seeing the Wakandan army. You're just seeing all these faces from the 10, 11 years of Marvel history, cinematic history at that point, pouring back into the scene, pouring back into the fight, ready to give it to Thanos. And you find yourself triumphantly with your fists clenched, getting excited, your heart starting to race. I'm getting excited thinking about it, looking at all those reaction videos. All that is accompanied by this score that just continues to rise and rise and rise. And as soon as it stops for a second and Captain America looks at everybody, he's like, Avengers, and then everything stops, assemble. And then the swell drops and the horns go and everybody's running at the army. And it's such an incredible moment in pop culture history that is only heightened by the score playing in the background that they did masterfully. Um, it's an incredible experience. And I, I keep going back to that term experience because you can go and watch a movie and enjoy the movie for what it is. But there's something about being able to have that experience, being in the theater around everybody who's watching it for the first time, just like you, having that swell from the audience, having that swell from the score, being able to see this culminative effort of 11 to 12 years of Marvel Cinematic Universe right here, right now, in this moment, uh, it was an incredible time, and it was only made that much better by the score, man. I cannot. Ugh, it was incredible, incredible, incredible. Well, you have a couple more entries as far as your favorites on the list, but I thought I would go into them because one of them you and I both share, and mm -hmm. that is the love for Tron Legacy, which yes. I included on mine a list as well of my favorite all-time soundtracks. Trong Legacy, Daft Punk created yes. a masterful turn. I am so sad that those two are not together, that they just, it's one of those music stories where they just continuously cannot get together and cannot stay together. Like yeah. we're seeing with Hollow Notes, which yeah, we'll talk similar. about. I'll, yeah, yeah I, I will talk about with uh, Laker Nick and also as well Magic Man here in a bit. But, you know, the legacy that they leave behind Daft Punk a lot of it can be contained within Tron Legacy. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, you know, we talk about the way the soundtrack really accompanies the, the, the piece that it's with. And the, the movie, you know, people can say what they want to say about Tron Legacy. I, I loved it. I, I thought it was fantastic. Um, 
Garrett Hedlund, I thought, was a very, very underrated uh, star, and I thought he did a great job. Olivia Wilde obviously did a uh, – I thought she did a great job. And obviously you have the iconic Jeff Bridges uh, in there to to reprise his role. And then you had a nice little little one-off by Cillian Murphy. Um, it was a great cast, and I thought the movie was actually really well done. I thought it was fun. Obviously I didn't think it was going to be any award-winning um, from a standpoint of storytelling. It was, a, you know, it was a good story, but it wasn't – wasn't interstellar it wasn't it wasn't the dark night but it was still a really really good story um but what what to me what really enhanced it was the world building and they did it by having daft punk do this soundtrack that just again i I don't know if i just got a thing with horns uh but the the horns hitting the 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 synthesized music just kind of setting the tone just right for this desolate world and you really felt like this world was cold and dark and desolate and without life without any real type of invigoration um and you really felt that up until the scene where they were fighting um where they were fighting after he had went to go visit uh, oh my goodness i can't think of the, the character's name but essentially he went to go visit the guy that was supposed to help get him to the portal um, but ultimately ended up turning on him to give his disc back to Clue. Uh, so when you got to that scene, that's the first time you really kind of felt like there was some life in there uh, and the soundtrack really heightened that. Uh, but it, it really is a beautiful thing when it takes, and I, I can't talk about the experiences, but when it takes this experience or take this movie that you were in, then that becomes an experience because now you have this accompaniment of sound and then it gives you this feeling of being truly in this place um, and allowing yourself to really escape reality and uh, suspend belief and be a part of this movie, be a part of this world, be a part of this experience. Um, I thought sound, I thought Tron Legacy was just fantastic in that. That's another one that I have when I go to the gym. Um, that's uh, the main title and uh, Flynn's, uh, Flynn's Return or something like that. I want to say that's one of the names of the, the pieces of score. Um, they're on my rotation in my on my gym playlist. So uh, I absolutely we talked about it. I adore Tron Legacy soundtrack, man. I thought it was I thought it was really, really good. Um, and Daft Punk is just always uh, I wish they would stay together, too. But you never know. Uh, time heals wounds. And, you know, somebody might say something one day that really triggers and sparks something that wants to they may want to get back together and, and, and put something out. But uh, I'm a huge Daft Punk fan and I thought they did a fantastic job of Tron Legacy. They really did a great job paying homage to Tron and paying homage to the last soundtrack on your list was something I would have added on my list had I known that we were dealing with pop culture <laughs> instead of this movie at the time. Uh, that is the soundtrack to the uh, hit game from 2007, Mass Effect. And truth yes. be told, I still listen to that soundtrack, especially the the opening theme. Uh, you know, it, it helps me relax. It helps. In fact, I use it a lot of times as a sleep aid, truth mm-hmm. be told, that sometimes when I'm I uh, want to make sure I, I get into a, a nice relaxing state of Zen. I will pop that uh, theme music on and from that soundtrack uh, from time to time as well uh, during the course of the year. So it's something I always revert back to also mass effect too, from time to time, but mass effect soundtrack is just so beautifully scored. It really enhances the mood and enhances at times the importance of the story as far as what, Shepard has to do in order to save the galaxy. Absolutely. I mean, if we, I mean, I can, I can give you specifics. I mean, if we're talking about the very first Mass Effect, I think my favorite, you mentioned the opening one, and, and I thought that was a great, that was a great score as well. Um, but for me, my favorite 
um, piece of score from the very first game, the very first Mass Effect 2007, uh, was the the planet selection. The the very uh, that might have been Mass Effect Two, as I think about that. Um, but the planet selection um, was just a great, very subtle. Uh, you talk about sleep aid. That's one that I used to fall asleep. I still use that to this day. Is the the planet selection? I just don't recall if it was Mass Effect One or Mass Effect Two. It might have been, it might have been two. Um, but uh, but I, I, I digress. Um, and as far as Mass Effect Two, obviously we have the 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 suicide run. That's such a huge score. Um, that was that was one where Shepard was giving his big speech and getting everybody into position for their particular points of the mission, uh, where they were supposed to be the ones to kind of carry the team. And obviously, you had big decisions to make because if you pick wrong, then that person's gonna die, and there's no coming back from that. So uh, that was huge, and it really kind of heightened and added to the intensity of that moment, intensity of that opportunity. And then obviously with Mass Effect Three, you had the uh, the 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 scene from the very beginning of the game, the very opening act. Uh, where they have to leave Earth, and then Earth is lost, and you have this piano accompaniment, and it's a very subtle thing, and it kind of begins to build again, and then you all have this this sound that's a, a reaper kind of coming down and, and wreaking havoc on Earth, and uh, it's just it it really kind of sets the the tone for you know we're 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 in a fight. This is a fight, and there are going to be casualties, severe casualties. Um, I truly do believe that uh, music is one of the languages that can really penetrate the mind, heart, soul, and it really, as I mentioned, accompanies and en enhances experiences. And Mass Effect already was uh, an incredible game. Even if you took the, the soundtrack um, out of it, it was a, a great game, or maybe it wouldn't have been a great game. I guess it's hard to go back and not hear the soundtrack now, but um, it definitely was something that made the experience that much better for me personally and it helps continue to solidify it as one of the best if not the best soundtracks of pop culture uh of pop culture history well, i'll tell you what though you got a great list then uh i will say this though <clears throat> the rest of my list uh i thought was uh, just as justified and really absolutely something that that i enjoyed when you told me to go ahead and, and share my thoughts on my mm -hmm. favorite soundtracks I wanted to add in there South pa South Park bigger, longer, uncut because it is okay. the greatest movie musical. Sorry for those <laughs> who listen to the sound of music, but it is when you look at it, the way mm. it was structured, the way it was made. People will just laugh at you on that because they don't take it seriously. But they, like you said with Interstellar, you really need to understand and take a look and evaluate yeah. what a movie musical is supposed to do and create. Mm. And that depth definitely, to me, is the greatest constructed movie musical of all time and definitely the soundtrack is, is the reason why uh to live and die in la is so underrated because uh, it was something where the the pop group wang chung uh who had some hits in the 80s was asked to create an entire soundtrack and just let it free flowing from there and not oh, okay. given really much direction just just basically i'm not even given much footage to work with just Go ahead, free flow from there, and they did a great job of, of what they needed to go ahead and do. A Batman with uh, Prince and U2 heading that, uh, yes, that soundtrack yeah. is absolutely yes. something I think that people need to go ahead and check out from the late 80s. I think there are still songs there that, that are definitely uh, stand out today. And then the Blade soundtracks from all three, uh, because I'm a... a a pretty good fan of uh, techno and electronic music and the crystal method and also as well uh, the chemical brothers 
uh, two of the greatest all-time synth bands or synth groups or synth artists uh, slash DJs of all time. And uh, okay. if you have not okay. heard their music, you have heard their music. It's just you need to go ahead and check out the Blade soundtracks and you'll be able to get a chance to check it out. But my friend, it's been a great conversation. But before we head on out, I want to pay homage to the Hall of Fame band, Kiss, who redesigned mm, the mm, way mm. in the 70s and 80s we looked at heavy metal bands, the look, the costumes, the, uh, I guess, well-known movies from the 70s, like when they were trapped at the theme park and whatnot. So yes, those those campy movies that they made in the 70s, but the the awe-inspiring glam rock genre that they helped create. <laughs> uh, they had their final concert ever as a band, as a group, this past weekend in Madison Square Garden. But yet they plan to live on and tour on as virtual avatars. What? In a 2024 AI-inspired move, they plan to live on and continue touring on as virtual avatars. Your thoughts on that, my friend, before we head on out? So actually, I think that's kind of cool. I think it's exciting. I think it's very interesting, again, considering that the Screen Actors Guild just had a big thing about you know their contracts and digital likenesses being used and i think this is going to set an interesting precedent uh moving forward for artists uh be it thespians or musicians or whomever it's going to set an interesting precedent so i'm curious to see how things progress from this point forward well my friend you've been outstanding once again i truly appreciate the time you take with us once again, it's TJ Johnson. Looking forward to hearing more great things in the world of pop culture that only you can bring to us, my friend, right here <laughs> in the pop culture cosmos. What is Planet Cool Stuff? It's your ultimate destination for insightful exploration from the realm of pop culture. Delve into the world of movies, video games, toys, cartoons, and visit with one-of-a-kind creators, discover incredible places, and see historical artifacts. Whether it's a toy room tour or exploring the best of pop culture cinema, Planet Cool Stuff has got you covered. Planet Cool Stuff, exclusively on Jinx Esports TV Canada. That's a sweet deal for... for Cuban, um, Bill, and you get to keep control of the team. Yeah. That's almost like Hall and Oates, you know, uh, Oates wanted to sell while still being able to be, make me, oh, no, wait, Hall is suing my ass. Oh, I can't do that. Sorry. <laughs> That's wrong. What are your thoughts on that, Nick? I mean, from the legal perspective in regards to the Hall and Oates as far as question, Gerald. Yeah. Well, wasn't, uh, I haven't kept up with it, Gerald, but wasn't the big question there is that, we didn't know what was uh, being restrained for. Mm -hmm. But it came out. It came out. In, even though they're, they're partially sealed documents, it did come out officially. And also, I think the Washington or New York Post uh, said that um, Oates is trying to sell his portion of the music library, which I believe he should have every right to because they're all cashing in. All mm -hmm. these older artists who were near to the end of their lives, sorry to say, are all cashing in and they should have rights to if they want to to their you know families things like that well, it's not just uh, it's not just uh it's not just the uh the elder statesman in the music business gerald justin bieber sold his for a dime yes Smart i wouldn't play. have I, yeah yeah gerald so obviously on principle like i agree but it depends right whether the oh um, great block great block whether both of them, you know, had a co-writing authorship. Prince, no. 
or uh, if uh, you know they played instruments on the same track. So it's almost like you know, imagine that you know Gerald and you Sean like write a write a song. Let's say Sean writes the lyrics and Sean sings it, but Gerald you play the guitar on it. Like, how do you actually monetize or how do you divvy up the royalties of that song? Right, they, uh, yeah. Nick. Have you uh, have you looked into the? Uh, I believe it's Fogarty, uh, VRCA. They they mm-hmm. sued John Fogarty from CCR for basically ripping off his own sound. Yeah, no, and there's been a lot of uh, uh, actually lawsuits. Sean, you may be aware of. Uh, even Kanye West has been sued several times for sampling artists. Right, and, Nick. I remember yeah. the most famous one was probably Robin Thicke and the Marvin Gaye estate. Right, right. It was the um, it was the old. Uh, they settled that, I think, eventually. Yeah, I don't uh, think it does sound it personally, but you know, it does not sound enough like the Robin Thicke song. I don't. I, I think, think they. Yeah, Weird I think Al's, they failed. Weird Al's parody that, is yeah. the better. Word crimes <laughs> is the best Weird Al song ever. But I, I, I digress. Really, um, Gerald? That yeah. that's that's kind of a hot take. I have heard all of his songs. That's the song I could enjoy the best. Okay, all, all right. I'll just say okay. that. I think most people would go with Amish Paradise, even over Smells Like Nirvana. Yep, there you go. But the music uh, video for Smells Like Nirvana is one of the funniest music videos you will ever watch. j it's like every year somebody sues Mariah Carey for All I Want for Christmas is, for, is You. Like, they're, again, they're suing her again because they have some part. It's so Except hard. j welcome to the Lakers Fast. Absolutely, J. Rowe. Great to have you here. It's just like when you make a song. There's been so many songs made throughout the entire history of this universe. It is so hard for not one part of your song or one note of your song to not sound like another person's song. It is just so difficult. Yeah, and heavy metal ripped off Black Sabbath's chord structure. Forwards, backwards, sideways, up, down, inverted. It didn't matter. It, 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 it just sounds you it's just so hard we could come up with a theme song like right now and there's some part of it that will sound like something else from somewhere else it's just you know all the notes in the musical chain have been used but getting back nick and, and sean to hollow notes i i think it's wrong because he even hall said it himself because they're not friends they're business partners was his last statement officials or was it oats oats said they were business oats, partners yeah oats said they were business partners yeah so if that's the case they're business partners allow him to go ahead and that's not telling you he doesn't want to perform with you again he does not tell you he wants to make new music with you again he didn't say that he just wants to sell his library off like so many other acts want to and are doing I just don't see Nick why he should be prevented from doing that, Nick. After uh, because if he if he is his name is on there and he's allowed a certain percentage of the library, I'm not sure why it shouldn't be the case. Yeah, Gerald, I would assume that the issue here is 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 not really whether he has a right to do that or not. I think it's more of a question of evaluation, right? Like, how do you value? his authorship or his rights of those songs or those recordings when there's another person that has contributed to those recordings. I think obviously like one way to possibly value um, the authorship is, is for uh, Hall or Oates or whoever 
is uh, trying to sell uh, to also give up whatever royalties they're actually generating from that song to whoever they're selling the you know the rights to and so um, I'm not sure if that's one way that they're thinking of doing it if uh, if that's the request that they put in uh, Gerald and Sean uh, for example um, some states when let's say there's a married couple they they own a home and they get divorced uh courts have actually you know you know each of them gets half and half of the proceeds or whatnot but it gets more complicated when there's a uh, you know songs involved and you don't know exactly how to value them nick first off thank you for that explanation but when it comes to oats let's say okay let's say sean and my stake and sell that out you know just Am I am I not giving the entire library and all assets to it, all future rights, monetary gain, over to said company for a set amount? Is that one like like for instance the the Beatles when they sold off to Apple, you know they sold the entire library to Apple for whatever billion dollars, whatnot. You're you're signing away your rights to make future you know money with those songs. Is that correct? Yeah, no, definitely, Gerald. I mean, so, so where's the problem? I don't understand. That's what the problem Hall has with this. So I assume that Hall's problem is that he doesn't. He might think that hey, like uh, again, using the example of Gerald and Sean, and Sean is trying to sell his rights to the songs that maybe uh, you, Gerald, also co-wrote or contributed to. Maybe Sean, or or in this case, is it Oaks or is it Hall that's selling? It's Oaks, the shorter guy with the black hair and the and the mustache. So, so Oaks is a is trying to sell uh, his rights to these songs. Yeah, he just wants to be done with it. I think it just right. sounds like him and Hall are just they're persona non grata. I want to be done with them. I want to move on with the rest of my life and and go from there i want to perform at all the old old age casinos and i'll just do my songs and there you go yeah i i assume that the that the crux is is that uh oaks here is trying to say that he has a higher percentage of the royalties or is entitled to them than hall in other ways in other words uh i assume that hall just doesn't agree that you know uh oaks is entitled to i don't know 60 percent of uh x song you know or 70 percent of this song or even 50 percent of this song you know i think it gets very complicated when you have a uh, intellectual property involved and things that could go up in value in the future like you say gerald um the rights to these songs could be sold to apple to a commercial you don't have any idea how to evaluate that which is much different from uh, you know, a piece of property that, you know, right now has a present um, face value and you don't know, um, you know, necessarily how those songs are going to be used in the future. If you're in the Las Vegas and Henderson areas and are looking to buy, sell, or trade the best in classic or current video games and pop culture collectibles, there's no better place to go than Retro City Games. From Xbox to PlayStation, Nintendo to Atari, the great crew at Retro City Games provides the best place to go for all your gaming options. Stop by their two awesome locations in Henderson and also the Las Vegas Strip or follow Retro City Games on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest deals and new items. Without a doubt, there's no better place to go for your gaming needs than your friends at Retro City Games. And 
everyone. We're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford. Thanks so much for watching, listening. Truly appreciate you joining us for the Pop Culture Cosmos. Thanks so much, it's Gerald Glassford. Truly appreciate it. The Marvels is phasing itself out of the box office as we speak. Uh, it's currently just barely in the top 10 as far as box office is concerned right now on a domestic and Worldwide basis. Uh, right now, it's going to peter out somewhere right around $200 million worldwide at the box office, which will go down most likely in the history right now of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as the worst performing movie of all time for them in their history, leading back to the 2008 films of The Incredible Hulk and, of course, as well. Iron Man that started it all. Cool, bro. Glad to have you here. Truly appreciate it. It is, of course, the guy that loves the Marvel Universe like no one else. He is here to defend the Marvels and absolutely give you true knowledge on what could be a return to form in 2024. What does Disney, Marvel, and Kevin Feige, the head of Marvel Studios, need to do in order to right the ship in 2024. Because 2023 was not the banner year that Marvel was hoping for. It is, of course, as he's uh, preparing stuff right now, it is, of course, the man of true knowledge, the man behind the MCU's bleeding edge. It is, of course, Jeff Sloboda. Jeff, great to have you here. Uh, got... Uh, some thoughts on this because the Marvels, it has been written down pretty much in box office history as the worst performing movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, you saw it, you enjoyed it, and you went on your show and defended it out there to the public at large. Uh, it is going to take a big defense of that movie in the long run because there's a lot of people who do not enjoy the movie. And I'm just going to say that out loud. And I don't be, you know, I'm glad that you enjoy when somebody of my friends do not like a movie. I mean, do they like a movie that's not generally well-received? I should say that correctly. It, it, it pleases me or a movie that I don't like that you like. I, I, I take great pleasure in the fact when, when a friend of mine enjoys it and it looks like with the Marvels, you did just that. You know what it is, is that everybody in my, in, in my circle, like Cyber, for instance, my co-host, told me that, that they Cyber, when I asked Cyber, he, this is what he told me, word for word. He was like, honestly, it surprised me. And that was all he said. He was like, and that's all I needed to know. In our language, between me and him, for knowing him for years, right? That means that it that it's it was it was it was decent because we were worried, obviously, right? Like everybody else, we were all scared going to see it, right? Everyone I saw it within my circle said it was that, that it, like like I told you already at least entertaining, right? Like basically, right? Like you know, it was that it was better than the first movie too. That was what I was hearing. So I, at that point, I went in there with more confidence and was able to I think enjoy it right for what it was. And yes, it has flaws. The movie has plenty of flaws. What movie doesn't have flaws? But like, and we'll flush, we'll flush that out across the the span of the segment. But in general, to connect with what you just said, Gerald, um, you, you just mentioned, you know, how you, uh, in contrast, I guess, how, how you know, you like here, you know, seeing that I enjoyed the film, right? I found it entertaining. I did. 
right? It's and it's good because you know it is, Joe. Because it's good because I thought Captain Marvel was terrible the first film. Like in, until Love Thor: Love and Thunder came out, I thought that was the worst. It was the worst MCU film there was. Now, mm-hmm. not, you know what I'm saying? Then Thor: Love and Thunder came out, and now that's the worst MCU film ever. Um, uh, Thor: Love and Thunder was a hit. Captain Marvel was a billion dollar hit. And then the Marvels comes out, and again, you have high but, hopes for it. You have you enjoyed it, and it's now the worst performing Gerald, movie in the but, MCU. But what went look, wrong? But, but look at what this though. Wrong? Look at this dichotomy, and tell me, and tell me that it makes sense for this mm-hmm. for this movie to be as bad as these numbers would indicate, right? This much of a loss. This the first movie made over a billion dollars worldwide. Mm-hmm. The second one, right? You're saying it's not even going to make $200 million worldwide box office, but it's a better film, Gerald. It's a better film. The writing is better, right? Like literally, Breeze, Brie Larson's better as Captain Marvel in it. She shows more range, right? And the villain is actually better than Ronan. And it, what was as an accuser in freaking the, the, uh, the Guardians movie? I thought. I will say, I will say differently. And the fact that the general consensus is that that's a much, lower rated film than the original captain marvel and i will tell you that the one of the reasons why is that the villain in there in a general opinion now this is from not just one but several different reviewers you go back and they say that the villain herself was extremely underdeveloped underdeveloped now mind you it was the irony that it came out in the same week loki 2 was season 2 was coming out and you know, uh, the villain of the Marvels happens to be, you know, in a relationship with Tom Hiddleston in real life. And they had a yes. baby and congratulations yep. to them. But unfortunately, it did not lead to success for her character. Because, again, uh, while you think the character was well-developed, uh, not a lot. of No, no, no. I didn't do. say it was well-developed. I said that as it, it's it's sort of better developed you know, than than it was or, at least as good as 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 Ronan the Accuser in, in okay. Guardians. That's all I'm Fair saying. Enough. Right. Like. You yes. know what I'm saying? And people hold him up as an okay villain in that film. So all I'm saying is that she was serviceable. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I, was she developed really well developed? No. They just okay. went right into they went right into her into her arc immediately and really gave her no arc. You know what I'm uh, saying? Okay. No, that didn't okay. say the movie has its flaws, right? It does. There, there's uh but honestly, again, Gerald, considering the fact that they cut what over an hour out, right? I mean, well, I know to, I know that they went back to the drawing board uh, during a point in the movie. I heard they cut over an hour plus of the film out completely. By the, by the time that they were done editing and started, and then by the time they were finished, they cut out an hour plus. Okay. Yeah, again, I, I, I know that there was considerable going back and forth on it. And it, you know that's always a sign of trouble when that happens, when they go and it's not absolutely beloved by the exact top top who want changes made and things of that nature and it sounded like there was a lot of changes that were made in that film during the process and obviously it did not lead to results that oh that's a lot of pleased you gerald you know it's a lot of film to cut from a movie that's a lot they're saying like so why do you think we were scared to go watch it all of us were right Mm -hmm. like on the bleeding edge and everybody i talked to in the content christian community that's a marvel fan we were all scared when we heard mm-hmm. that, then you heard the stuff about the director, Nikki Nicosta, mm-hmm. take just taken off during production, right? Which now mm-hmm. I don't really know how true that is. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you, you only think, hear all this bad stuff happen if the movie does poorly at the bottom. Yeah, place. no, there you go. See, and so and here's so here's my point. Bottom line, um, you know, overall, uh, I thought that um, 
in general, for me at least as an MCU fan, this brings mm-hmm. me optimism to Brie. Like this, legitimized for me as a as a fan. I I'd like to see Brie Larson stay in the MCU as Captain Marvel, right? And mm-hmm. like you know, be a part of the Avengers films and whatnot, uh, everything, and have a third film. Well, I don't disagree with you there on Brie Larson. I hear Brie Larson is hated by a certain uh, sect of the public in regards to that. I, and I think she was very wooden in the original Captain Marvel movie. But I have come to appreciate her more. She is an Academy Award winning actress, so it's not like she doesn't know how to act. It's just the fact that it just wasn't the right fit for her at the time. But I think she's getting more comfortability with it. And I certainly be, uh, don't want her to be removed as Captain Marvel simply because of the uh, the actual box office performance of the no. film. I just think it came out at the wrong time in a year yes. where the Marvel product uh, is taking a lot of backlash. A lot of people, both in and out of the industry, are taking pot shots at the Marvel Universe. Plus, superhero fatigue is a thing, Jeff. There's a it's lot a of thing. reasons, Gerald. There's a lot of reasons. We can go on and on. Right, you know as well as I do. There's a multitude of reasons why the film was not was sort of doomed to fail. Right, it was. You know as well as I do. Look, I figured that the movie was not even going to make four hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. You could go look and see. I've guessed it on shows. Which is very fact. hard, which or which is very bad for a film because it would cost almost three hundred million dollars to make. I know that, and that's the thing. You know, as I mentioned to you in the comment session during your live stream the other day. Um, if you go back and actually look at the um, the box office, right, of the first all the films that came out in phases one through three, okay, and then you and then you you know average them across, you know across the board, all right, you know um, if you look, you know of course you've got your Endgame and Infinity War and your your you know your Captain Marvel, your Black Panther, you know you got you got the movies that you know that kind of carry that you know the, the full total. But when you break it down and then look at what what's come out in phase four and five, it really honestly the box office dip between uh, like the, the on the on average is not that bad. It really isn't. In contrast, if you remove Endgame, right? Say you remove Infinity War, it's not. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? The, those movies kind of carry the overall like box office numbers. In general, I found the film entertaining. Uh, my my only defense with it, with it would be. For people out there that like maybe didn't even go watch it, right? Because of like the things you heard from other people, I'd say go watch it, right? Like then at least then like you know judge it, right? That's all, Gerald. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and defend it. It has lots of flaws, but even though we're only going to get Deadpool, unfortunately, which I know for the fans that really stinks, we are going to get a lot of content on Disney Plus for, for even if whether it's in special presentation form or in actual Disney Plus series form. So there is going to be content there. Um, what do they need to do to like stem the tide and fix it? It's very simple. The moves they're making right now looks vindicates uh, the fact that I would think that look, you, a lot of the simple critiques you hear out there, the writing has to improve, right? There needs to be more oversight on the on the production of these series. There needs to be showrunners on the projects. It can't just be Kevin Feige and his inner circle as the executive producers, and they're overseeing every single Disney Plus series there is as the final shot callers of everything, right? You understand what I'm saying, Gerald? It's not working, yeah. right? With these bu- budgets that aren't even set, and like you know, what I'm saying they just whatever, right? Like what Secret Evasion, the reshoots that what that cost them how, what forty million dollars, two hundred fifty million dollars almost to call, to to make that garbage. 
you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, seriously, it had some potential for three episodes, and then pfft, it was garbage. That's a lot of money, man. Seriously, Gerald. I, I, if I didn't review all like you know so much all this Marvel stuff and whatnot and everything, I can see why somebody would just get rid of Disney Plus off Secret Invasion. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? So I no, get what you're saying. The writing needs to improve. That there needs to be more. There needs to be more oversight of the spending of the money. The, they need to trim these budgets. There's no reason these, these shows, the six episode shows, should cost 250 million dollars. Enough said. It's that simple. The films, the films, Captain Marvel. They only ended up working with an hour and a half to an hour and 40 minutes with the film, right? They cut an hour out. They mm-hmm. lost all this money on it. They should have only spent $150 million in the film to begin with, just on the film production itself. I'm not talking about advertising. Do you see what I'm saying? They need to, yes. to start paying attention more and whatnot to like the finer details and whatnot and everything and get back to the roots of – because I'm telling you, Gerald, the next thing you're going to see happening is some of these upper-crust actors and actresses and whatnot in Hollywood are not going to want to mess with Marvel anymore. In the MCU, they're going to start stop coming. Well, that's already happening. That's already happening. I mean, I believe uh, uh, there's been quite a few actors and notable names that have been out there in Hollywood, both from an acting and directing standpoint, who have voiced their opinions against uh, the Marvel uh, superhero DC universes and, and the, their disdain for them and uh, their or their disenchantment in them. So it's at this point you just say to yourself, okay, you know, it's going to be for a certain crowd, and then that's it. The thing is, can Kevin Feige get it back to a point where it becomes event television or event movie once again? I think that's where the question remains. You know, getting into what we talked about with Deadpool three, what we talked about also as well, coming up later on with fantastic four, the X-Men yes. uh, leading into Kang dynasty, uh, leading into Avenger six secret wars. After that, will this ever get to the point where people around the world that are not super, super hardcore pop culture slash uh, superhero fans ever get back into it again? We'll have to see. Really, we'll have to see. I hope so, Gerald. I do. I hope. I hope Echo's a start. I hope one of season two is a start. I really do. Like you know, I'm optimistic as always, and um, I really think that um, that like honestly, I think it's going to end up okay. I do, uh, and they're going to make. I think they're going to go back to making mass audience attractive films again and whatnot in series. I think they're they're experimenting with Disney Plus right now, Gerald, and that's going to lead to them figuring out a better way of handling putting out the content on Disney Plus for us in the fandom to where we're not overwhelmed. Right. And they're not also like wasting all this money and, you know, just use the stuff, just use these series and these, these special presentations to introduce new characters and that's it or something, you know what I'm saying? Or do like, you know, stuff like the animated stuff. That's fun. But other than that, like we don't, you know, I'm, you get what I'm saying. Pare it yeah. down. Like they, like they're like, they've already talked about work on the quality again. Cause you know, Gerald, again, just enough, enough set off this. If the actors and actresses don't want to be with them, what does it doesn't even matter how good the writing is. Once again, it is Jeff Sloboda from the MCU's Bleeding Edge. Please go ahead and check out his channel today on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. But before we head on out, uh, Cool Bro, who is a huge Star Wars fan, and I mean huge Star Wars fan, uh, wanted me to ask you about your favorite Star Wars movie. And if you are, a Mandalorian. This is the way. Okay. There you go. There you go, indeed. 
But what's your favorite Star Wars movies, my friend? Definitely Rogue One. That Rogue One is what got me. My my story with Star Wars is very simple. Uh, I saw the trilogy when I was a kid. Rogue One. The I didn't like the 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 prequel trilogy movies that much. Rogue One like got me. I was like, oh man, this is good. Rogue seeing Rogue One is the reason why we reviewed Andor. Once yep. we did Andor, Andor, you know, Gerald, it just kicked my teeth. We have right talked now. on about Andor about the, on, it destroyed you know, on the show. It destroyed yeah. me. And at that point, once I did Andor, I'm like, you know what? At this point now, we're gonna view everything Star Wars. Anything Star Wars comes out with, we're covering it. I don't care what it is. So now we do everything, all the Mandalorian stuff and whatnot, everything. And yes, um, I am I am a Mandalorian full. I'm I'm actually a Tuscan translator, as Gerald will tell you. I go to Phoenix University online courses. I'm a Tuscan translator for the Sand People. Repping the sand people, I go to, I go to Tatooine to get my get to get hands on training. You know, it's it's deep. Somebody's got to represent them, people. It's rough over there, and um, so yes, but no, I love being a Star Wars fan now. I'm new to the Star Wars fandom, but um, I'm loving it. Um, you know, what I'm saying I've I even um, I even bought the other Thrawn novels the other day. I got them in the mail. He loves R R O T S. He he's really into the the prequels and uh. I Rogue can't one, shake them out of it. Rogue One and Andor are my number ones right there. That Rogue that, One is the only fully tolerable movie that came out in the Star Wars universe after 2010. The Clone Wars is good too. Okay. And last question. He always asks us, what's your five favorite Star Wars characters before we head on out? Number one, Ahsoka. Number two, Clone Wars Anakin. Number three, uh, Thrawn. Number four, uh, Obi Wan, minus the Obi Wan uh, Disney Plus series, and then five. Um, I love how you put an asterisk on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then five, um, uh, Jar Jar Binks, baby, can't go wrong. Okay, Vader, Kenobi, Ahsoka, Thrawn, and Darth Maul are his. Yes, I will tell him that. Okay. Well, appreciate the Star Wars questions, cool bro. If you want more Star Wars content or our previous conversations like we did on Andor, you can just check it out on the YouTube channel right here on Pop Culture Cosmos or the MCU's Bleeding Edge. He has a ton of stuff that he and Cybernetic Shark and his whole entire gang have reviewed right there for you at the MCU's Bleeding Edge. Well, Jeff, you've been fantastic as always. I know you said you wanted, you hit me up the other day and I said, you know what? I have some time tonight. I'm going to go ahead and go ahead and do it now. Because again, I like the fact that you're a contrarian in this case, because everybody has pooped on the Marvels and I'm glad to see that someone took some uh, enjoyment out of it. Uh, Oh, he asked, okay. Coolbro has some standard questions. Standard last standard question, Coolbro. Coolbro likes. Oh, I like it. I like it. It's fine. Yeah. Okay. So you got a Star Wars theory watcher right there in Jeff, the man of true knowledge, indeed. Tell tell him to go check out check out all of our Star Wars stuff on the MCU's Bloody Edge, and he'll see what what I try to. I I already put I already put in the chat your YouTube link, Jeff. Thank you, sir. I got you already covered. Yes. Please go ahead and check out all the reviews of all the Star Wars related content whether it's movie based or tv based right there for you at the mcu's bleeding edge well jeff you're the man of true knowledge as always i truly appreciate the fact that you found enjoyment in a movie that not many did and it's always good to hear from you, my friend i cannot wait to talk more great stuff in any pop culture universe with you my friend right here on the pop culture cosmos 